0: The ETF Edge podcast is sponsored by Invesco QQQ, supporting the innovators changing the world. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Welcome to ETF Edge, the podcast. If you're looking to learn the latest insights on all things exchange-traded funds, you're in the right place. Every week, we're bringing you compelling interviews, thought for market analysis, and breaking down what it all means for investors. I'm Leslie Picker, filling in for Bob Fasani. Today, we're drilling into the reopening story. How sustainable is the rally we've seen in reopening sensitive groups like travel, leisure, and other cyclical plays? And are investors getting too complacent? Plus, we'll get more on the rising inflation fear factor and why the SPAC trade is fizzling out this month. Here's my conversation with Mark Yusko, CEO of Morgan Creek Capital Management, Steve Grosso from Stuart Frankel, and Tom Lydon, CEO of ETF Trends. So, Steve, let's start with you. What do you make of all of these reopening plays right now? So, Leslie, I
1: I, I think there's still gas left in the tank for these reopening plays. We had So, reopening plays are basically in the value bucket so when rates started to creep higher that favors the value bucket and you wind up getting a sell growth in the face of higher rates because everyone in the financial industry knows the knee-jerk reaction rates move higher you sell growth you sell technology but when you look at what's still left in the tank we're looking at gdp of six or seven percent that's virtually unheard of we haven't seen those numbers in, in god knows how long so who's gonna benefit? Hotels, airlines, restaurants. That's how you started the lead there. Uh, Marriott Vacation Club. People wanna go on, away on vacation, but they wanna be in a timeshare, more of a condo setup, versus anything else. But hotels will, will get the benefit. Airlines will get the benefit. Restaurants will get the benefit. And the other side to this is that you still have checks going out to individuals, and we don't know when those checks will stop. So it's hard to call an end to the reopening trade when the money keeps flowing.
0: But the money may not have flown to the bottom lines of these companies. Do you think, Steve, just to kind of follow up on that, that it's already priced into the market, that the market is anticipating that it will ultimately flow down to the bottom lines, since the market is supposed to be at least forward-looking?
1: So absolutely, and I agree with you. In any other other world, any other environment, I would agree that 70%, 80% could be priced in. But we're talking about a pandemic. We're talking about the last time we've seen this was 100 years ago. So there's no real way, Leslie, to gauge uh, past performance as indicative of future uh, performance. So I think the mere fact that we have no clue what go- government's response will be, how long, how overextended it will be, and where rates will ultimately go, it will push people into risk assets. They'll go into risk-less risk, risk assets. And when you just look at Peloton or you look at a Zoom that are off over 40% from their recent highs. And when you look at a Planet Fitness that's up 72% from August lows, there's still more in the tank.
0: Mark, do you agree? Do you think the whole reopening trade uh, is already priced into the market at the moment?
2: I definitely don't think it's all priced in the market. I I think we've had a very nice recovery in airline stocks, hotels, restaurants off the bottom. But I, I totally agree that there's, there's a lot more to go. I, I wouldn't get too excited about this one big number we're gonna see in GDP. Uh, that's just the law of small numbers. We're coming off the greatest drop in history, so the, the bounce looks really high. I think what has to happen is, is true recovery, right? People have to get back to normal. Uh, and I think that has yet to happen. I think it is happening. And so I think the real key here is the way AdvisorShares goes about it is active management. You know, we're a big believer that we are on the cusp of a pretty significant transition over the next decade toward active management, away from passive, away from indexing. And that's really going to favor these types of ETFs.
0: Well, what you just said is that, uh, are you saying that basically there should be more active management with CERTAIN MORE TARGETED ETFs, BECAUSE WHEN PEOPLE HEAR ETFs, THEY THINK OF of PASSIVE MANAGEMENT. SO um, YOU'RE SAYING THAT AS AN ACTIVE MANAGER, YOU SHOULD BE PURSUING MORE OF THESE THEMATIC uh, TARGETED ETFs IN YOUR INVESTING APPROACH.
2: YEAH, LOOK, I I THINK THE DAYS OF of CAP WEIGHTING BEING IN CHARGE ARE are OVER. I THINK IT'S GOING TO GO BACK TO THE DAYS OF, AGAIN, ACTIVE MANAGEMENT WINNING, MORE OF AN EQUAL-WEIGHTED APPROACH, MORE OF A VALUE-BIASED APPROACH. AND, LOOK, PASSIVE, isn't passive, right? It's just slow active. You know, over 30 years, 85% of the names in the S&P turn over. It's just that cap weighting is a momentum strategy, and momentum works when there's lots of liquidity. I think that liquidity is going to start to slow. I think we're actually going to talk about a topic here: inflation, which is going to cause some stress in the growth part of the market, the cap weighted part of the market. That's actually going to be another tailwind to these types of companies, which will have some pricing power for the first time in many years.
0: Yeah, I'm sure it would be a, a welcome um, aspect for them. Uh, maybe not some others, uh, namely the consumer. But, uh, Tom, how, how do you see investors using some of these reopening ETFs as a tool for hedging? Um, is it used in the same way as more of the broad-based uh, ETFs might be used? Yeah. Well,
3: first, I couldn't agree more with Mark you know, coming out of the financial crisis, if you bought the S&P 500, it would have been really tough to beat it. But then as we got into COVID, we realized that there were opportunities in certain themes or certain asset classes. And back to what Steve was saying, value for the first time in a long time is seeing some love. So if you are um, opportunistic, and it, it doesn't mean that you have to pick the individual constituents within an ETF. But if you can actually pick certain themes or certain asset classes that tend to be maybe uh, trending in the right direction or unloved in the past. I mean, for example, uh, when we're seeing the GDP numbers come out, a lot of that is going to be based on the backs of small companies. 65% of GDP is, is on the backs of small companies that they are nimble. They can turn very, very quickly. And they also have pricing advantages. Where everybody's got this desire to get out there, spend their stimulus checks, they don't have to be really tight on their pricing. They can actually put a little bit of leeway in there, which can lead to greater profitability. So I, I think what these guys are saying is what's happened in the past, especially as far as passive is concerned, worked really, really well. But if you're opportunistic in certain themes or certain asset classes in this opening trade, You can really do much better.
0: Yeah. And to Steve's point, you know, past performance, not necessarily indicative of future performance. Um, Keeping in line with the reopening story, commodity prices have surged as demand for everything from oil and lumber to soybeans, sugar and even rubber is ramping up big time. Tom, sticking with you, how big of a red flag is inflation right now? We are
3: um, surveying advisors every week, and, and since last fall, they were really concerned about inflation, especially as we start to see rates creep up a bit. But ho- uh, home prices, food prices, gas prices, commodity prices, right through the, the whole landscape, we're starting to see increases there, which are fairly concerning. And, and this is the first time in, in not 10 years, but almost 20 years, where we've started to see these types of spikes. So there's a couple ETFs out there I wanted to bring to the surface. One in particular was the direction OSPIS broad commodity strategy. And when you talk about active management, what they do is they break down 12 different commodities and basically use them on a trend following technique where those that are above their trend lines, they buy those that are below their trend lines recently, like gold and natural gas that has not been keeping up with other commodities, actually does pretty well. So the ticker there is COM. And then the biggest uh, diversified commodity ETF is by Invesco, uh, PDBC, that if you just want a basket of commodities futures uh, and you don't have to worry about it, that's something to consider. Both don't have the hassle of K-1s, which has been a concern over time with commodity-based ETF strategies.
0: Fascinating. Uh, Steve, what's the inflation prospect look like to you from the standpoint of growth versus value? We talked about that a little bit with regard to the reopening trade, Uh, but what about with regard to inflation?
1: So when you look at the 10-year, everyone got spooked. The the growth sector got spooked because we spiked to about 1.75 in the 10-year, and then it leveled off. I THINK, LESLIE, WE'RE ALMOST IN A Goldilocks ENVIRONMENT. I KNOW THAT EVERYONE IS LOOKING FOR uh, RATES TO SPIKE HIGHER, AND MAYBE THEY WILL EVENTUALLY. BUT YOU HAVE CHAIR POWELL SITTING ON RATES. YOU HAVE THE 10-YEAR JUST SORT OF SITTING OUT THERE IN THIS uh, SWEET SPOT WHERE GROWTH AND VALUE CAN ACTUALLY PERFORM. OBVIOUSLY, IN THE COMMODITIES THAT YOU'RE TALKING ABOUT, LUMBER, uh, JUST THE the CHART LOOKS uh, INCREDIBLY BULLISH. THAT HAS TO GIVE IT UP. Uh, sometime soon. But it's not hurt the builders. So far we've seen uh, DR Horton up 35%, 45% year-to-date. Lennar up 35%, Pulte up 25%. So when I'm looking at my value basket, I look at uh, globally represented value names, not just domestic. I do think that the home builders will move sideways to lower because they are so domestic-facing.
0: Uh, Mark, I read in the producer's notes that you believe the saying sell in May and go away might actually apply to 2021. Uh, we are on the cusp of May. I think it's uh, about next week. Uh, why, why do you believe that? What are some of the, the warning signals out there that make you think that it could be a good idea to take some money off the table these days?
2: Yeah, look, we, we had just an unbelievable Q1 in, in just about everything that could be priced. LUMBER PRICES, HOME PRICES. HOME PRICES WENT UP QUARTER OVER QUARTER, THE HIGHEST IN THE HISTORY OF, of THE INDEX, 18% IN ONE QUARTER. SO WE'VE we've, be, we've GOTTEN OVER bullion. OIL PRICES ARE UP 100% YEAR OVER YEAR. Uh, EVERYTHING WENT UP A LOT. COPPER PRICES ARE EXPLODING. AND I THINK ALL OF THAT IS GOING TO COME THROUGH INFLATION HERE IN Q2. I THINK THE INFLATION NUMBERS ARE GOING TO SPOOK PEOPLE A LOT. And I think, uh, you know, if you think about the the reason sell in May and go away exists is if you hold from May till October, you usually lose a little bit of money. You make all your money in a normal year on the tail ends on the other sides. And I think that spike in inflation, a spooking, again, a a jump back in interest rates are going to get people to sell off the high growth stocks. And then on top of it, we got the threat of higher capital gains taxes. That will exacerbate the problem. So I can see a big rotation, growth to value, uh, and there will be places to hide. But generally speaking, I think the markets will be pretty volatile through the summer and into the fall. And you're just better off to raise some cash, kind of sit it out, and then buy some things on sale in the fall.
0: Notoriously a period of, of lower liquidity as well as a lot of people uh, decide to, to check out in August, another time periods to to go on vacation. So it would make sense uh, that we could see some additional volatility over the summer. Um, Speaking of volatility, the SPAC attack was all the rage earlier this year with a record 109 new pre-merger blank check deals in March alone. But with four days left in April, we've only seen about 10 SPAC deals this month, perhaps as a result of tightening SEC regulations and cooling investor interest for speculative assets overall. So is the SPAC spigot drying up? It clearly looks like it from that chart right there. But let's ask Mark, who just launched a SPAC ETF of his own at the start of this year. Are you still seeing, Mark, the same amount of interest as you did uh, you know, when you first launched?
2: Yeah, certainly not seeing the same amount of interest, Leslie, but but I think that's misplaced in the sense this is a long-term trend. You know, THE SPAC MERGER, WE BELIEVE, WILL BECOME THE PREFERRED METHOD FOR HIGH GROWTH INNOVATIVE COMPANIES, OR WHAT WE CALL THE COMPANIES OF THE FUTURE, TO GO PUBLIC. Uh, THAT TREND ISN'T GOING TO GO BACK IN THE BOTTLE. Uh, YES, FIRST QUARTER IS ALWAYS A BIG QUARTER FOR NEW IPOs AND NEW issuance. NOT SURPRISING THAT WE WOULD SEE A PULLBACK. AND THEN THERE WAS THIS RUMORS OF, of THE clampdown on, ON THE WAY YOU TREAT WARRANTS uh, SPOOKING SOME PEOPLE. SO I DO THINK IT'S NORMAL AND NATURAL. To have a little lull after the just very frenetic pace of Q1. But for us, SPACs are the right way for the individual investor to get democratized access to late-stage venture. Companies used to stay private much longer. All that wealth was going to accredited investors and qualified purchasers, not to the average investor. We really like the SPAC structure that allows the average investor to participate in those later-stage venture rounds.
0: STEVE, I HEAR YOU HAVE SOME STRONG FEELINGS ABOUT SPACS RIGHT NOW. Care LAB, yeah. elaborate?
1: YEAH. SO I COULDN'T AGREE MORE WITH MARK'S LAST uh, COUPLE OF THOUGHTS THERE. THIS IS the, THE FIRST TIME THE AVERAGE INVESTOR GETS TO GET IN WHERE THE uh, INSTITUTIONAL OR THE INSIDE uh, INVESTORS GET IN. SO AROUND THAT $10 PRICE RANGE. Look at, LOOK AT THE IPO MARKET, LESLIE. THE INDIVIDUAL INVESTOR GETS HIT OVER THE HEAD WITH THE IPO MARKET. They come out with an issued price. On the day it starts trading, it always opens up 20, 30, 40, 50% higher. The investor, the individual investor, buys into that elevated price. And then what happens on that first day? It'll reach the highs, comes in, it's still above the issuance price. The retail investor is underwater. All the insiders have a huge profitable day. The retail investor is left out in the cold sometimes for years until he makes his money back with a SPAC you get in at ten dollars you either vote for the deal or don't vote for the deal and you get to be on equal footing and get inside those investor rounds where you in any other place in the market the retail investor can't get in there regulation definitely a headwind but i think we should all realize that SPACs are are you can regulate them a little bit with their forward guidance looks but other than that They are the best vehicle for a retail investor.
0: I hear you on that front, but I'm going to push back just a little bit um, because there is this part of the SPAC market that's become increasingly popular. That is the pipe, uh, which is uh, private investment in public equity. It oftentimes comes as these deals get consummated, as they get signed and announced in the market. And what you have is a, a group of, you know, a very small group of institutional investors that get to invest in the pipe at the IPO price even though oftentimes the publicly traded shares are above them. At least that's how it had been uh, previously in the first quarter. So you are seeing certain discounts made for institutional investors uh, in not the same way as you would an IPO. But of course, they are finding a way to capitalize. Additionally, there was a story in The Wall Street Journal over the weekend about how SPAC sponsors are able to still get compensated uh, very handsomely, despite what the actual returns for SPACs are. Uh, So, you know, are there certain warning signs that retail investors should be aware of when it comes to these SPACs that, you know, may not be as evident on the surface of of the vehicle themselves?
1: So I I guess the, the, the issue that I deal with is, you have to do your own due diligence, no matter what investment vehicle you're using, I would always say that if you're going to buy a SPAC, you go for the management team right off the bat that's gonna find the best companies. That's rule number one. Rule number two, if you don't like the company that they target, you could always sell that SPAC. So you have to make sure, does the comp- is the company profitable? Will they be profitable one day? Do you agree with their strategy, their business strategy, their management teams? So it's no different than anything else. But having said, when you start talking about the pipe, and or the management team. There always has to be a cost of financing. Look at the traditional IPO uh, process. Those are magnified 10X, 20X, 30X, as far as the fee structure that we're talking about now. SPACs are the most streamlined. Can things do better? The whole going public process, can that do better? Of course, but SPACs has streamlined it it the most efficient way in this whole process of going public.
2: Mark, did you want to add anything there? Yeah, I just wanted to push back on the pushback in that uh, the fact that a pipe (laughs) investor gets a good deal doesn't take the good deal away from the initial investor. Steve said the great thing about a SPAC is you get to, as an individual investor, participate for the first time in the IPO price rather than this inflated price of the traditional IPO, where if you're not a fat cat client of the underwriter, you don't get you don't get IPO shares. The second part of that is the sponsors have to put money up and it has to be locked up for a year. It's risk capital. It's venture capital. If you don't do a deal, you lose it all. If you do a deal, you don't get to sell at the IPO like a traditional IPO. So look, incumbents spread a lot of FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt, no matter what the disruptive force is, whether it's Bitcoin and blockchain or whether it's SPACs. The incumbents, the banks and the underwriters don't like the competition. As JP Morgan said, I like a little competition. And they (laughs) will spread this misinformation. And I think it's great that we have a chance like this to talk about some facts as opposed to the FUD.
0: (laughs) The FUD. Uh, Tom, what do you say? Are SPACs the kind of vehicle that investors should pursue through an ETF? Should they be buying the individual shares and or warrants uh, when these vehicles do go public at the $10 price? Well, first of all, Leslie,
3: you know, coming back on what Mark was saying in the FUD, I wrote that down. We need more education <laughs> for retail investors for sure. And and people have to understand SPACs aren't an asset class. They're a form of liquidity. So a lot of people are getting caught up in the hype. Yes, there's a way of diversifying with, with ETFs, and Mark's crew does a great job talking about active management. That's what they're all about. So they're going through not only who's bringing that SPAC to market, what they've done in the past, but also pre-pipe and post-pipe opportunities. So they're digging in a little bit deeper to the constituents that are in that ETF. If you want a, a bigger position of all are the biggest SPACs that are coming to market, Defiance Next Generation SPAC, which is SPAK, has 180 SPACs in there, not necessarily as critical as far as what's in the the index there, but something to think about. And then finally, Tuttle tactical management can actually go short some SPACs in their ETF, SPCX. So something to think about. But mm. I would say Mark is right. You need active management in the SPAC area. And this is an area for the average investor who probably doesn't have the skills or the capabilities to dig deep into, deep into the team and also what might be on their radar as far as acquisitions.
0: Excellent. Uh, Well, that does it for this week's ETF Edge. Uh, Maybe we could change the name temporarily to SPAC Edge because that was a really great conversation. Uh, I'm Leslie Picker. Uh, My thank you, my deepest thanks to Mark, Steve, and Tom for joining us today. And we'll see you next Monday. Same time, same place. Bob Pisani, though. Have a good week.
2: Invesco QQQ believes new innovations create new opportunities. Here's to greater possibilities together. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc.